Welcome to Biota Live. I'm Tom Barbele, and this is a continuation of the Biota Podcast. For more information on the Biota Podcast, check out biota.org slash podcast. We have two callers on the line. Gerald calling. Oh, hello, Gerald. How are you? Hi, can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. A long time no chat. Yeah. And I'll bring in our second caller. Hello, second caller. Yes, this is uh, Ed from Indiana again. Hi, Ed. Good to talk to you again. As you're both aware, we have uh, news and notes. We have the potential of two further callers um, who said they might call in, but I'll get on with the news and notes. Next episode, Friday, September 5th at 8 p.m. Pacific, Spore Till You Snore. We're guaranteeing more unique coverage than you'll probably see with regards to Spore anywhere else. We should have Travis Savo on the podcast but sadly, Steve Grant has given his apology. Steve has given two magazine interviews with regards to Spore, and now he is working on his own project. He did, however, promise that he would give us the uh, first interview and beta preview associated with his new game project, um, which should be out within the next three months, according to Steve. So more from Steve Grant in the very near future. I wanted to give a shout-out to Jamie Matthews, who handed in his master's thesis today. So congratulations out to Jamie. It's going to be very interesting to hear what he does in the future. And similarly, we may have Larry Yeager on this call this evening. But if we don't have Larry on this evening, he said that he would appear in the Biota Live following the Spore Biota Live. So in two weeks' time, if we don't hear from Larry tonight, we will have Larry Yeager on the podcast, which will be wonderful. No doubt we'll try to get you back on air as well so you can talk about uh, Graysum, Indiana, amongst other things. So a lot of correspondence through the week, some of it related to an idea of Biota Live Lite. And what that relates to is a reduced bitrate version of the podcast for folks who have dial-up connections or similarly slow connections. I heard from Herv Noel in Saudi Arabia, and I've also heard from previous listeners, folks like Melek Kutash in Jordan, and Miriam English, who is somewhere in Queensland in Australia, and she only has a dial-up connection as well, and they had asked that a lower bandwidth version of Biota Live be produced. Well, that's relatively easy. If you've heard in previous, the previous two episodes, I now divide the news and notes and the main topic with a little audio break. However, what I will do with Biota Live Lite is provide the news and notes in a separate audio file to the main topic to reduce the downloads even more. If this is something that interests you, please get in contact with me, tom at novelate.com, because this is still something that's in the planning phase, and I'd like to have more feedback before I started unrolling it. Graysum related news. Well, there was a Graysum Silicon Valley meeting on Tuesday, Tuesday past, August 26th. I'm calling it Graysum Unplugged, in part because it was a small, intimate group sitting around talking about Scott Davis's Mars simulation project. Scott said that uh, he had originally planned to give a, a standard presentation, but it, it basically turned into a working group from what I've heard. Unfortunately, it wasn't videotaped or audio recorded. In fact, I'd requested Scott do his presentation primarily uh, for my own selfish motives to actually have a chance to see Scott's work, but apparently a lot of good feedback came through that, and hopefully Scott will uh, do a, a second report in a few months' time with regards to the feedback that was given. So once again, I'm going to read out uh, the Graysum locations, primarily because there have been two new locations added in Canada, Graysum Toronto and Graysum Montreal. If you were in either of those locales, and I know uh, we have a number of Biota Live listeners in both those locations, 
please get in contact with me, Tom at Noble8.com. We were hoping to have Adam Eremenko from Grace on Boston on this evening. He would talk a little bit more about the mailing lists that are being created. But to run through the lists again, obviously the new chapters in Grace on Toronto, Grace on Montreal, Grace on Boston, obviously, Grace on San Francisco Bay Area slash Silicon Valley, Grace on London, Gerald, Grace on Benelux. What are the plans with regard to the next meeting? I've been discussing it with the uh, with the Ostrechfeld, the guy who uh, is going to be able to present or give us uh, access to a, a perfect location for it, and we're setting it up for towards the end of September. Yeah, we haven't picked a date yet, but we're uh, we're working on that. Okay, so for folks listening in, I will keep you updated, as I'm sure Gerald would. I, I was hoping to have uh, Rudolph on as well. He said he may call in. Um, I know it's probably early your time, but he said he, he wanted to contribute with regards to the topic today. So we may hear from Rudolph when his alarm goes off, and he can add more information to that. Grace on Brighton as well. There was potential with regards to Brighton and London linking up. I haven't heard any more on that. I was hoping Adam Iromenko could uh, talk a little bit more about that. The Grace Am LA group, I have to give a shout-out again to uh, Brian Allen, who made contact. And Brian told me that he'd actually been to a Grace Am San Francisco meeting. So he's probably the linking San Francisco-LA connection there. But if you're in the LA area, there seem to be a lot of interesting people from a diverse set of fields that are looking to come together in Grace Am Los Angeles. Now, Grace Am Indiana, obviously, Ed, we have you on the line again. But my hope was to have Larry Aker on either tonight or in two weeks' time, and certainly when we have him on either tonight or in two weeks, we will talk a lot more with regards to the potential of uh, Grace Am Indiana because I think between the two of you will be a possibly even a two-location Grace Am similar to Grace Am San Francisco Silicon Valley. and They seem to move quite neatly on alternative months with regards to their two locations. Grace Am New York, my understanding is that the inaugural meeting will be in October sometime, mid-October when... Bruce Damer is going through, and Adam Aramenko will also be coming down. But um, by all means, if you're in the New York area and you want to get together with like-minded folk, I think they'll probably have a, a meeting prior to the main big meeting. So get in contact with me, Tom at Noble8.com. And similar to the LA group, actually, a diverse group of people that are coming together in Greytham, New York. It's going to be very exciting what comes what comes out of that Greytham. Greytham, North Carolina, it's another interesting link of a wide variety of areas, a couple of universities, obviously more than a couple, and a wide variety of companies that will bring together a number of interesting people. Greytham, Melbourne. I was contacted by another fellow in Melbourne during the week, and I think it's going to be a... Again, probably an academic-heavy group in Melbourne. There seem to be a lot of academics in the Melbourne area that have contacted me with regards to Grace on Melbourne. And I say it every week. They're listening to us live in Second Life. A shout-out to Natalie and Dick Gordon in Grace on Second Life. I understand Dick's travelling currently, so maybe it's just Natalie and other like-minded folk in Second Life, potentially even Bruce Damer. So I got a lot of feedback from the last show. I think San touched a, a number of points that obviously people were very receptive to and we're certainly going to have Zan back on. Gerald, you listened to last week's show, I'm sure. What was your general feelings with regards to Zan's ideas? I'm sorry, Tom, I haven't had the chance to listen to it quite yet. Loyal listener, Gerald. <laughs> I'm sure you'll get a lot out of it. I have heard from people that were listening to it only, uh, only yesterday, so I'm sure you're going to have a great deal of fun, and maybe next time Zan comes on, you should be on as well, because I think she's got a, a lot of interesting ideas with regards to your favorite topic, reclaiming the term intelligent design. So 
I'm sure you'll have a lot of fun with uh, with regards to last week's show. I'll get your feedback after you've listened to it, I guess. As yeah. I said last week, I'd like to Zan back on to talk about the future. I mean, she has a lot of interesting connections. She studied with uh, Buckminster Fuller, Gerald. Yeah, I, uh, I enjoyed her talk at uh, at the Greatham uh, San Francisco, uh, and so I, I was looking forward to listening to her. I just haven't had the chance yet. Not a problem. You're a busy man. That's understandable. Now, in one of her correspondence, she actually sent me some of the um, primary stuff that Buckminster Fuller had written on her behalf and things like that. It was actually quite fascinating. Many, many areas that uh, can be discussed with regards to Zan, as I think folks who heard last week's show will uh, testify. And Ed, I mean, you were on the show last week. What kind of food for thought did Zan leave you with? Mostly just she had some really uh, interesting environmental ideas. So that, that was one I, I pondered all week long and uh, drew up some plans for it and thought about it and went, you know, that environmental idea of pressures affecting the mutations in bodies and in the evolution of things was uh, made, me, made me think a lot all the week long. Yeah, I think she's someone who just has jammed with a, a lot of brilliant folk. Some of those jams, I think, then very heavily into what we've discussed in BiotaLive to date, but a number have a potential to spin off into future discussions, and certainly that's the uh, kind of collective feedback that I received. But, Ed, as we, as we have you on, would you like to give some introduction to who you are and some background into how you found the podcast and your interests in artificial life? You know, I'm, I'm an electrical engineer by uh, training, uh, but I have never worked in as an electrical engineer. I went right into uh, IT and started programming and been programming Perl for a couple of years now. And uh, I went from different companies through their IT folk, and then I landed at Lilly. And now I've moved into bioinformatics and deal with more science and science research. So I'm, I'm really fascinated. It's really cool, really, really good field. Lots of discovery. It's kind of like the Wild West show here. You can <laughs> pretty much write any code you want and do genetic algorithms to find things, do large computational searches, lots of databases to search through. So as I'm thinking through what my scientists ask me for, and I'm trying to build them code and interfaces and algorithms, I started thinking, well, why don't I have a virtual kind of playground? Why can't I build an environment that has all these pressures and then subject different pressures to it and watch things grow computational-wise? I mean, we do it in a laboratory all the time in the wet lab. Why can't we really get something going and off the ground that I can at least go in there and throw in a mutation, you know, have photons hit something, generate uh, and have it build maybe crystal structures and adjust them, tweak them, and see how they join together, understand the physics of things. We're getting really down into understanding the crystallized structure, trying to understand how that works because of the bindings between chemicals. And, you know, of course, drugs are very much important in that realm of understanding how those bind to our chemicals that are, are free ions that float through our body or our lipids and our membranes or anything else. But those lower chemicals or those lower macromolecules aren't really controlled by genetics. They're really controlled by something else, something even lower. So uh, I'm kind of going, okay, how is that built? So I'm trying to figure out a program that will understand that lower, understand and build those macromolecules up and then maybe attach things to it or and have an environment that will allow me to tweak those or, or, or even visualize them, just plain out visualize how they can grow. So that's, that's what I'm working on, and that's why uh, – and I found your podcast just uh, – 
just kind of, I was on my iPod and I, I listened to, oh yes, I listened to Floss Weekly. So I'm um, kind of a, a trade-off from that. I listen to them and, you know, participate in a few open source projects. So those pearls all open source. So I write mainly in that. So that's how I kind of found the podcast. So you're amongst like-minded folk and obviously, particularly with regards to structures. I mean, this has been Gerald's wonder with regards to artificial life and even prior to artificial life. Have you heard Gerald on any previous podcast talk about that, Ed? Yes, I think I have. I don't want to say I did. Gerald, a question to you. I'm not sure if you heard the Jamie Matthews chat with regards to Artificial Life 11, but they seem to have had a a Tensegrity, at least a Tensegrity paper, if not a Tensegrity track at Artificial Life 11. Have you had a chance to look through the Artificial Life 11 publications and do you know of other Artificial Life Tensegrity projects? I, uh, I listened to the, the Jamie uh, Jamie's interview, but I, I don't remember anything about Tensegrity specifically. But uh, I've downloaded the uh, proceedings, so I'm going to be uh, reading that through when I get a chance. By the way, last night I created uh, my, my very first physical, actual uh, Tensegrity at, at the architect's office because otherwise, like they're not they're not really convinced by things virtual. So I have to I have to create something physical. And what did you make it out of? Uh, I've got this a uh, couple a couple of materials. Uh, it's it's sort of nylon, plasticky stuff. It, it wasn't that successful, by the way. <laughs> Very tricky to build. It's a good first try, and I learned a lot. And the next uh, next one will be better. So I have to actually build something and be able to uh, you know give it to people and put it in their hands before they're convinced that it uh, you know could play a role in architecture. So that's the challenge for right now. Yes, I imagine kind of magnets attached to rubber bands or something like that, but I can't see how you get hard structure out of that. There seem to be a lot of toys that are almost Tensegrity-like. When I lived in the UK, there were educational toy stores that I'd walked past, and they seemed to have, I'm not sure how rubbery they were, but they seemed to have balls and magnet cups at either end with kind of rubbery bits in between. So maybe you need to look into current educational toys in that regard, and you may find you... Usually usually those are very, very, very simple, and it's just like one uh, one little item, uh, you know, one little... uh, Thing you can hold in your hand. I've seen that. There's this, this thing called a Tensegra toy, uh-huh. which is just uh, which is just six bars and uh, and elastics around it. You can see you can find it in a lot of kids' stores. But what I'm talking about is be is, is creating a uh, which I haven't quite done yet. But I'm I'm trying to create a whole uh, column of of Tensegrity so that, that can be uh, applied in architecture. So it's a bit of a challenge. And I'm still not uh, sure how I'm going to be able to integrate evolution into it, but um, every once in a while I see some some opportunities because it's uh, going to be at some point a question of uh, fine tuning, and then uh, and then uh, genetic algorithm will be uh, probably a good idea. It sounds like the architects are the selection pressure in some regard. Yeah, to, to some degree that'll be true, but there's going to be uh, like the thing is there's too much complexity to deal with for a person. So uh, they, they might be some part of the selection pressure, but like I've been trying to do from the beginning with uh, with Darwin at Home, I'm trying to combine both an algorithm and uh, and human influence. You know, selection pressure is a combination of those two so that you don't have to worry about capturing absolutely everything in your fitness function. 